We are wrapping up our journey through 2 Peter together this morning. Um, Over the next few weeks, we'll be uh, looking um, at a few more of the Psalms of Ascent uh, as we transition back to an an Old Testament book. And then I think what we're going to do is begin to work our way through uh, 1 Samuel in the uh, the Old Testament coming up uh, next. Uh, But until then, we're going to wrap up here with what Peter has to say uh, to these churches that he's writing to and to us. Remember, he's uh, writing to some churches that are experiencing uh, uh, opposition um, from within, from false teachers who are uh, casting doubt on the trustworthiness of Jesus' promise. Jesus promised to come back in restoration. Jesus promised to come back in judgment. And they're also casting questions and doubts on uh, whether it matters how you live your life and godliness and holiness before Jesus. Um, The the question then comes as we're awaiting Christ's coming, as we're awaiting his return, what does that waiting look like? According to that great theologian Tom Petty, waiting is the hardest part. We need to know, how do we do this hard thing called waiting? And here, as Peter wraps up his book, that is what we want to look at and give our attention to today. How do we wait? So turn with me to the end of 2 Peter. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 3, looking at verses 14 through 18. If you're uh, in one of those black Bibles there in your seats, uh, that's on page 1019. Um, as we wrap up this uh, book in the New Testament. So if you would follow along with me, beginning there in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, And lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, that this morning we aren't reading just uh, a letter concocted and made up by the imaginations of, of a man but that just as you have told us, the scriptures are produced through the will of our God, that you, Holy Spirit, are carrying along and speaking to your people through your authorized spokesman. We pray this morning that we would hear your word. We pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would apply your word and you would accomplish your purposes in our lives as we hear it, as we hear from you. Uh, In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're we're waiting. What does it look like? What do we do? How do we wait for Jesus to come back? 
Notice in verse 14 what Peter explains and tells us. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. The first thing we see is Peter is drawing our, our attention and beginning to explain to us how we wait. Is we, we wait by striving for godliness, striving for holiness. Be diligent, he says, to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Peter says that, that waiting isn't just sitting around twiddling your thumbs. Waiting is hard work. It is something that we are to diligently put our attention towards living a life pursuing godliness and holiness. Notice how in, much in contrast this is to the lives of the false teachers that Peter has already told us about. Look over in verse 13 of chapter 2. He says, of the, speaking of these false teachers, they count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. Remember what we saw is that the way that they were living their lives is they discounted the importance of living a life that is worthy and glorifying Jesus. Uh, that they said it didn't matter how you lived. That Peter describes that the way that they are living are blots and blemishes on the character of Jesus as they reflect him bringing slander upon his name as they live in the world. Peter says, no, this is not what you were redeemed for. This is not how you are supposed to live. As you wait for Christ, work hard, work diligently to live a godly and holy life. Um, one way to think about it might be in, in this way. A couple of uh, weeks ago, we uh, it's been a month, Ago now, I guess at this point, we went to Florida. And going out of town, we needed somebody to, to look after our house and our dog to make sure that he was given his food in the proper time and that our house didn't go to shambles while we were away. Um, and so we got somebody who was willing to, to stay and take care of those things. We entrusted our house to them, we entrusted our dog to them, um, expecting them to do as we, uh, the, the charge that we, we gave them to do while we were, we were gone. We didn't uh, let them know exactly when we were coming back. We just knew we were coming back sometime uh, uh, seven days or so from, uh, from then. Now, can you imagine what your response might have been? Or what our response might have been? If when we showed up, our dog is skin and bone, hadn't been given his food in the proper time. We walk around our house and the toilets are trashed and there's junk all over our yard and the grass is overgrown and windows and doors are broken. They've had parties and just completely demolished our house. What is your response going to be? One of anger. One of disappointment. One of betrayal, maybe. Are we going to pay them? No. We may even press charges. Well, as Jesus talks about uh, his return, as he talks about those who would call themselves his servants, he describes it in a very similar way of entrusting them certain tasks in his, uh, in his, in his household. Listen to the, the, the language that Jesus uses to describe what, uh, what is going to happen as he 
as he returns. This is in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew is another uh, person who is recording uh, parts of the, the life and teaching of Jesus. Listen to how he describes using similar language. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? Jesus is showing himself to be the master in this section. Master is set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know. Listen to what Jesus says here. And will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Cut them into pieces? Jesus is crazy. Do you hear what he's saying? Who, who is this? It is our God and our King who is crazy about holiness, who is crazy about his glory being demonstrated through his people, who is crazy to redeem and save a people, to call us into a relationship with him, to know of his excellence and his glory and his might and his redeeming work and his redeeming power. And those who hypocritically say with their name, with their mouth, that they follow Christ, but with their lives cast complete doubt and say, this is not a true profession. Jesus says, when I return, you will experience my judgment and my punishment. Jesus wants his people to wait actively working hard and diligently to live a life of godliness and holiness, striving so that there's nothing in our lives that show themselves to be spots or blemishes. Does this sound like grace? Does this sound like what Jesus is saying is if you don't live right enough, if you're not good enough, then when I come back, I'm going to reject you. Or you got to live in a certain way and do good enough for me to accept and delight and see you as my good servant. No, no, that, 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 that is a, a distortion and a twisting of what Jesus says. Listen to Paul. So remember, in, in, our, in our passage, Peter is referring to and talking about a, another man named Paul, another one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons, who uh, uh, his, his language has been at, at times distorted into and twisted by other people. We'll look at some of that later. But listen to what Paul says about, uh, about Jesus in uh, this letter called uh, Ephesians, as Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. And listen to this language. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. You see what Paul is saying here and how Peter is reinforcing it? 
How are you made holy and right? How are you without spot or blemish? It's through the work of Jesus. He has already cleansed you, people of God. You who have trusted and put your faith in Christ. Jesus will present you to himself without spot or wrinkle or blemish. Grace undergirds this calling to strive diligently for for holiness and godliness. Why? Because you've already been made that in Christ. Because you have already been made one who is without spot or blemish. Strive, wait, live out that spotless life that is already yours in Jesus now. How do you do that? Are you concerned? Am I concerned about the spots and the blemishes in my life? Uh, uh, am Am I concerned to strive to live a life that's worthy of my Savior who has bought me with His blood? Do I care about my sin? When I begin to recognize and see things in my heart and in my life, that I'm longing to do things other than what Jesus redeemed and saved me for. When I recognize and see in my life that I'm living my life in such a way that when people who know I'm a follower of Jesus and they look on me, are they thinking, is that really what Jesus is all about? How do I respond to that? Do I deal with my sin? Do I run to the one who cleanses? Do I run to the one who washes? Or am I content to live a life that disregards Christ? Peter says, no, he's coming. Your Savior is coming for you. Wait and work diligently. Live out who you already are. In fact, that's how he continues to, to go on. Live without spot or blemish and at peace. Live as one who is at peace with God. Are you living in such a way so that you're trying to earn a place to where you're moving from enemy to friend? No. You are at peace with God through the work of Jesus. Therefore, don't live like an enemy anymore. You aren't an enemy of Christ. He has saved and bought you with his blood. You have been brought into the family of God. What Peter is saying here is as we wait, live out a life that reflects the truth of who you are in Jesus and of the work that he will finish and complete when he comes. This call to work diligently, to deal with, to attack, to pray against your sin, to to call and open up to other believers about the struggles that you're having in your life, and to do what is necessary to put sin to death, is what it looks like to wait on a Savior who cleanses and washes and purifies his people. We wait by working hard. We wait by diligently striving for holiness and godliness. But we also wait in a different way. As we wait, we're not just to to strive for godliness and holiness, but we're also to wait considering salvation. Wait considering salvation. Look in verses 15 and 16. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, 
which the ignorant and unstable twist their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Remember what the false teachers were saying. Where's Jesus? Have you seen him? I haven't seen him. Any of your family seen him? Nope. Has he come back? Have you guys seen him? No. Why the delay? What does that mean that Jesus hasn't come back yet? The false teachers are saying, oh, it's because Jesus is untrustworthy. It's because Jesus isn't coming back. He doesn't care about you, and he's not going to keep those promises, and so it doesn't matter how you live. Remember what Peter is pointing us to. We do not follow after false teaching, but we conform our hearts and our minds and our lives to the scriptures. And here, Peter is pointing us to another one of, of, uh, of God's authorized spokespersons. This wisdom that Paul has, that he's speaking and he writes about as he's writing his, these letters to, to the people of God. Where does that wisdom come from? Well, it says it's wisdom given to him. Uh, as Peter goes on, he, he puts Paul's writings in the same categories as the Old Testament scriptures. They, the unstable twist what Paul is saying to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter is saying, do you want to know and understand what waiting looks like? Do you want to know and understand the truths about the salvation of God and what Jesus is bringing? Then look to the word of God. The word of God that has been revealed to his people through his prophets in the Old Testament and through the apostles and spokespersons in the New. Don't listen to what the false teachers are saying. The delay of Jesus, of our master returning, is not unfaithfulness. It's patience. It is salvation, Peter says. Consider the patience of our God salvation. How? How is it salvation? Well, think, think about this. What if God hadn't been patient? What if he hadn't delayed his coming in judgment? Adam and Eve would have been the only two humans that ever exist. No salvation. If God had not delayed and been patient, Noah and his family would have been wiped out with everyone else. If he had not delayed and shown patience, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob would not know the covenant-making and keeping God. If he had not delayed, the gospel would have not gone forth out of Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus if he had decided to come and return. If he had not delayed, it would not have extended outside of Jerusalem into the Gentile nations. If he had not delayed and shown patience, the gospel would never have come to America. And you would not know your Savior. If he had not delayed, if Jesus had decided to come back before June 8th, 1979, I would not have been saved and would not know my Savior. If Jesus had come back two weeks ago, then Billy Turner, a man who, uh, whose family attended my church growing up, he rejected Jesus his whole life. Last week, he died of covid the day before he died, one of the chaplains from my parents' church visited him, shared the gospel with him. And on his deathbed in the hospital, Billy Turner said, I believe in Jesus now. If Jesus had not shown patience, if he had not delayed, Billy Turner would not have heard, enter into paradise with me. Do you realize the patience of the Lord is salvation for you? 
What does that mean? It means that as God's people, we have the privilege and the opportunity to consider this time while we wait as an opportunity to take that good news and that message of salvation to the lost. Has he not delayed to give you time and your neighbor time to have that conversation, that invitation over to your house for a meal, to push past the pain line of talking about the gospel before to them that they would hear and know and know the message of Christ? Or are we those who don't consider the delay of God's salvation? Do we not consider it as a priority for us as the people of God to proclaim this good and great news to the lost? Or maybe, like Peter says, some twist and distort the delay of God, thinking that, eh, I'm in my teens. i got plenty of life before me. I got plenty of time to get my life right and straight with Jesus. I'll do it when I'm old. I'll do it when I have a family. Right now, I want to live my life the way I want to do it. Doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, and when things settle down and I've lived my life my way, then I will seek Christ. Peter says, no. Consider the patience of God's salvation now. Do not delay. Now is the time for salvation. Now is the time to look and hope and rest in Jesus, Peter would say. You aren't guaranteed tomorrow. You consider the patience of God time for you to, to, to delay, considering, calling out, resting in Jesus. Peter says don't. Hope and rest in Christ today. Now is the time for salvation. Look and hope in Christ. How do we wait? We wait by diligently pursuing godliness and holiness. We wait by considering salvation. And lastly, we see that we wait by growing in Jesus. Look down in verse 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this, 17 and 18, you therefore, beloved, knowing this, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Notice the contrast. One is to be led astray by false teaching. Led astray pursuing a lawless life moving away from Christ. But what Peter says the people of God are called to do, how we're supposed to wait, is by growing. Growing in Jesus. Growing in the grace of Jesus. How do you grow in the grace of Jesus? By continuing to go to the gospel and realize the good news of the message of what Jesus has done for you. How you and I, apart from Christ, would deserve the wrath and judgment of God, but now we stand before Him loved, redeemed, and saved. I am loved by the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done for me, the one who died and suffered my punishment and who has granted and given me His righteousness. May my, my roots dig down deep in that. May my every 
aspect of my heart and my mind be rooted and grounded in the grace of God, and may we go to His grace over and over and over again, that it would fuel and motivate this diligent hard work at pursuing godliness and holiness to the glory of Jesus. But also, notice, he says that we're to grow in the knowledge of Christ. Now remember, that, that's not just talking about facts. Paul isn't, uh, Peter's not saying, what I want you to do is win every little Bible trivia contest you go to. Knowledge here is talking about uh, knowledge as, as an intimate, close, relational connection and encounter with the living Christ. Grow in knowledge of Him and being acquainted with Him in dependency upon Him. How do we do that? Well, Peter's already told us. Jesus' power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. And it comes to us through His very great and precious promises. That's why we want to be in the Word of God. Not to check off boxes or to think you have to perform in order for God to love you. It's because you've been loved. It's because of what Jesus has done. Come and encounter Him in His Word. You might experience His grace and grow. You might see how He's called us to live and might find the strength to do that. Grow in, in prayer. In coming and conversing and talking with Jesus. The one who has given us access to our God. Listen to how Jesus talks about this. Again, back over in Matthew 26. This is a, a part where Jesus, he's already eaten with his disciples. He's getting ready to be arrested. But before he gets arrested and, and goes to suffer on the cross, he wants to take time to pray to his heavenly father. And he takes some of his disciples with him and says, I want you to stay here while I go over here and pray. Will you pray? Guess who the three were? James, John, and Peter, the writer of this book. Jesus goes away. He comes back. What's he find them doing? Sleeping. Listen to what Jesus says to them. Uh, this is in uh, verses uh, 36 to 46. Um, he comes back and he says, uh, he found them sleeping. And so he says to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Through prayer, we come into contact and encounter the living God. Peter wasn't praying. What happens after this? Jesus gets surrounded by uh, soldiers. Peter pulls out his sword and tries to take them all on. After this, a middle school girl scares Peter to the depths of his boots, and he denies Christ. Do you need prayer? Do you need to daily encounter and seek and depend upon your Savior and Redeemer? Jesus says so, and here Peter is saying so. And one last way, doing what we're doing here now. Coming into the presence of our God. Hearing now from God's word what God is speaking and saying to you, his people. Hearing of his grace. Hearing of the person and work of Jesus. That all of us might grow. Grow in Christ. 
Why? Because what Peter says as he closes out this letter, because to Jesus is to be glory now and until the day of eternity. While you wait for him to return, our lives are to show and demonstrate the glory of Jesus. How do we wait? We wait by diligently striving for godliness and holiness. We wait by considering salvation. And we wait by growing in Jesus. Christ is coming for you, people of God. Wait on him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Um, We thank you for the work that you have done for us on the cross. We thank you that you have given us uh, the scriptures uh, to tell us about your great uh, accomplishments and the work of satisfying uh, our punishment before the Father. Uh, We pray now that you would continue to strengthen and enable us to wait and wait and wait for you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.